For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. My name is Quentin Flynn. I'm here on The Geek Show. Uh, why? Because I play Raiden in the Metal Gear series. I am lightning, the rain transformed, and I have been transformed by hanging out on this show. So tune in and turn on. You'll love it. The Geek Show. It rocks. Hi everyone and welcome to Meandering Mike and this week we are talking to John Joseph Adams, the editor of the new post-apocalyptic fiction collection called Wastelands 2. Now that's not to be confused with the video game Wastelands 2. Um, This book features a lot of really, really good stories from brilliant authors. John, hi, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on the show. So uh, I, I was just gonna—I was just yeah. gonna mention. Uh, so the—it's—it's it's very unfortunate timing that uh, Wasteland uh, Two, the video game, came out right around the same time as Wastelands Two, my anthology. Yeah. Um, although uh, the the main di- with the only distinction being that Wasteland the the video game is singular and yeah. and my anthology is plural. But um, actually, uh, the the inspiration for the title for the series actually is from the video game. Is it really? So, yeah, yeah, um, I was I was a huge fan of it back in the day, you know, when I was a kid, like thirteen, playing the original Wasteland game, uh, you know. So, so that's that's where I got the idea for the for the title. And I mean, it was it was like long dead and forgotten by when I did the first Wastelands, and then by the time Wastelands two came out, they they kickstarted a huge uh, resurgence for the for the sequel, and uh, so then you know, um, it, it got a little confusing, but um, but you know, I, I was very happy to see it though. I've got to admit, I was a massive fan of it when I was younger as well. Yeah. Um, that and the, uh, oh, God, the Fallout games that followed. Oh, yeah, totally. The, yeah, no, Fallout's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like, you know, my love for post-apocalyptic fiction started with the Wasteland video game. Um, and then uh, was that was reinforced by the Fallout games. And, like, yeah, Fallout, the Fallout series is, is definitely one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and, uh, so yeah. And, and, you know, I, um, I actually got to, uh, exchange emails with Brian Fargo, who is the creator of Wasteland and also, um, Fallout. Wow. And, uh, you know, so he's, he's like in charge of in exile entertainment, which 
you know, produces the current Wasteland 2. And, you know, he ran a game company back in the day that did the original games. Um, you know, because in addition to the Wastelands books that I did, I also have a, an apocalyptic series called The Apocalypse Triptych. Um, and uh, so I had reached out to them and said, hey, you know, how about we do a little promotion thing? Like, you know, if you want to give a copy of the first volume of The Apocalypse Triptych to all your backers, you know, the, you know, maybe they would enjoy that. And then maybe they'll, you know, and then on, for, for, for on my end, you know, maybe they'll want to buy the other, you know, the other installments of the triptych. Um, and so that, but that, but that was just very cool that I got to actually exchange emails with him because it's like he's <laughs> like, He's basically responsible for like wastelands and wastelands two wouldn't exist if not for him, you know. So, wow, I've got to be honest. My uh, love of post-apocalyptic fiction started with the computer game as well, but not wasteland. Mm-hmm. Mine started with a very obscure ZX Spectrum game called Mindfighter. Mm. Which uh, was, I don't know. I don't know that one. It was really weird. It was basically an adventure game, first-person mm-hmm. type adventure game, but it came with a book as well and i've been looking for the book for years since then and nowhere has it um it was post-apocalyptic fiction some kid has esp his mind goes into the future and finds a shattered world china's basically ruling pretty much everything and him and his friends have to find a way to stop it it's typical school kid fiction where Mm -hmm. the hero is a kid but that's what kind of cemented my love of uh, post-apocalyptic fiction Mm. Yeah, no, I mean it's a, it's funny how uh, how important these things to us are to us, you know, as we as we grow up and we think back and to what was uh, uh, the things that we were passionate about as kids and and how much it can influence what we do later in life. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, in a large way, Wasteland, the video game, is responsible for my entire editorial career. I mean, I, I worked at the magazine of fantasy and science fiction um, prior to selling my first anthology, but. I mean, my entire anthology career was based on Wastelands, uh, my, you know, the first Wastelands book selling and doing very well. Um, and that book wouldn't exist uh, without um, without the Wasteland video game. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, the the whole reason the first Wastelands even came about was because uh, a couple, you know, several years ago, um, before I did Wastelands, uh, uh, there's a small publisher called Bison Books uh, here in the U.S. They're like a university press. They reissued this anthology called Beyond Armageddon, um, which was edited by Walter uh, Walter Miller and Martin H. Greenberg. Um, you know, Walter Miller wrote Canticle for Leibowitz, one of the great classics of post-apocalyptic fiction. Yeah. And so this Beyond Armageddon book, um, it was long out of print, and they brought it back into print. Um, and uh, so I, I, and I was a fan of it already. And uh, so, but I saw that, and. Um, I I thought I basically put together Wastelands as sort of a spiritual successor to that book. And so like for instance I didn't reprint anything that was also included in that one. So like you know I was kind of seeing it as a sequel in a you know spiritual sequel. Um and uh and I you know tried pitching it to Bison Books and um and and but they weren't interested in doing anything like like you know, new books that they had you know you had to assemble. Um but uh, luckily I was able to sell it to Nightshade Books and um you know and it did very well. Uh but uh but the other thing is um uh I actually I I first came across Beyond Armageddon because I um I can't actually remember why I decided to do this but there was this there was a small uh, British magazine actually called 3SF um uh, you know, I don't know, early in sort of mid two thousands. Yeah. Um, and uh, they had a column called Reader's Guide, and it was basically like you take a subgenre and you you 
put together a list of recommended reading for that subgenre. And like, you know, there's a little introduction to the subgenre saying like why it's great or why it's interesting, whatever. Um, and so I had written one of those and, and I, I was just starting to do freelance writing at the time, you know, sort of writing about science fiction as opposed to just working on the editorial side. And so I had, um, I had pitched them a column on post-apocalyptic fiction and they took it, you know, um, unfortunately they actually went out of business before they could publish it, but, oh, that's a shame. um, yeah, but I ended up I ended up selling it to um, the Internet Review of Science Fiction, and so they published it, and and then I did a couple other sort of um, columns like that for them, uh, where we called them subgenre spotlights there. But um, but you know the the first one I did was the post apocalyptic fiction one, and and that's basically what uh, got me thinking, um, or, or that's basically what made me realize, you know what, there's like hardly any post apocalyptic anthologies. What's up with that? You know, because it's like. It was a very popular genre for many years, and um, there's lots of novels on the subject, but when I had done my initial research, and, and you know, the, again, this is back in, like, 2005, there was almost no anthologies on the subject. It was like, you know, there was Beyond Armageddon, um, there, was, there was a humorous one that uh, Robert Sheckley edited, um, I think it was called After the Fall, and then, like, Jerry Purnell had done a series called There Will Be War. Uh, that, um, that had some, uh, you know, sort of post-apocalyptic overtones and everything, and Think, and something else I'm not thinking of, but, uh, you know, basically only a small handful of things and, mo- and all of them had been like a long out of print at the time, you know. Um, so that's that sort of laid the groundwork for Wastelands as well. Um, yeah. And then and then, of course, you know, now there's Wastelands, too, as well. Wow. That's uh, that's one hell of a journey from <laughs> the video game. Yeah, yeah, game. totally. Uh, moving on to uh, Wastelands 2. Um, th- you've got an impressive array of authors in this book. I quite liked George R. R. Martin's entry, but I think my favorite is Final Exam. Mm-hmm. I've got to say, I like the way that story is presented. Um, mm-hmm. That's uh, Megan Arkenberg's Final Exam. I really like the way that story is presented. I found it unusual because it's not often that somebody tries to write in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there were some other standout stories there. And I I've read uh, David Brin's po- The Postman before, but mm-hmm. it's still brilliant. It's still fantastic to see it in an anthology of this type. Oh, you know, I mean, just about, about Megan Arkenberg's story, you know, for people who haven't read it, it yeah. you know, as you might guess from the title, Final Exam, it's actually told in the story, in the in the style of a, um, you know, of, a, of an exam. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's got questions and possible answers and stuff. Um, but I, yeah, I, I agree with you, though. Like, that, it's really interesting to see people try to tell stories that way. I'm, I'm really fascinated by that idea of telling stories using... Um, you know, sort of experimental forms like that, or using the forms of something else to tell a story. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did a whole anthology this year actually called Help Fund My Robot Army and Other Improbable Crowdfunding Projects, which is uh, a series of stories all told using the framework of a, of a crowdfunding project. You know, so it's like, you, you know, so the first, so like the title story is Help Fund My Robot Army. It's about a guy trying to fund a robot army, you know, yeah. and, and, and it's told using the, the structure of a Kickstarter pitch, that kind of thing. And so um, I, I'm just really fascinated by all the different types of stories that are like that, that you, that you encounter. I mean, actually, um, in, in Wastelands 2, there's another one, um, uh, the last story in the book, Biographical Fragments of the Life of Julian Prince by Jake Kerr. Yeah. That one, that one sort of uses uh, fake uh, Wikipedia entries and it, and it, so it inter, in, it sort of intercuts 
excerpts from the Wikipedia entry of this guy, Julian Prince, in, yeah. with excerpts of his um, writing. You know, he was like a journalist uh, sort of documenting the, the apocalypse. Um, and so, like, I, I just love that. I love that story so much. It's one of my favorite stories that I've ever published in Lightspeed. And then, and then of course, now I've reprinted it in Wastelands 2. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's another one where just, like, I, I love seeing that kind of, um, you know, different different narrative uh, structure. Uh, and, and, and when they work, when those stories work, they're brilliant, you know, and then they don't always work, but when they do, they're great. The thing for me is, uh, at least the, at least the author is trying something different. At least they're pushing themselves to think in a different way. Uh, over the years, you've probably read thousands and thousands of stories Mm -hmm. and they're all told in a very, very similar style. They're all cast in a similar manner. Um, the narrative structure tends to be very, very similar from one to another, um, so when these things come out that are so different, it's immediately eye-catching. Mm-hmm. You know, not just yeah. you know, e- even when it's laid out on the page, mm-hmm. you know, just the, just from the layout on the page, it's so very very different. It, it captures the attention. Yeah, yeah, it can be it, it can be challenging sometimes from a publishing standpoint, depending on what kind of uh, different structure you use. Uh, I mean, in these cases, it wasn't too bad, but like there's there's some of these stories that it makes it very challenging to format them, especially nowadays that you have you not only have a print edition to worry about, but then you have eBooks, and um, you know, so then you have to format it in on the print side, and then you have to do the same thing on the eBook, and you got to try to make a match. and And eBooks can be uh, sort of notoriously finicky in what they what you can and can't do. Like you think you'd be able to do everything yeah. that you can in a print book but it's not always that easy um but uh like like uh, ken Liu actually has a, a series um of stories so, so in the apocalypse triptych uh the idea for that one is that the it's three books and the first one is stories that take place before the apocalypse the second one is stories that take place during the apocalypse and the, and the last volume is stories that take place after the apocalypse so basically uh you know sort of uh, these those are original stories in versus Wastelands Two being reprints, but uh, but otherwise the last volume of the Triptych and Wastelands Two overlap a lot because they're like the same particular subgenre. But anyway, uh, but Ken Liu's stories um, are it's sort of like an AI apocalypse sort of uh, thing, and um, he uses emoji in it. And oh my god, it was so, really? <laughs> it was so he difficult. Uses... To, and so like I, I actually I published this uh, th- this series myself uh, with Hugh Howie, and so like we're doing all the ebook formatting, we're doing all the print layout, but it was so difficult to actually get all that to work. Like you wouldn't think that it would be that hard, but um, but like. Even though emoji are, um, you know, they're HTML based, you think like, oh, well, and, e- and ebooks are actually based, uh, created with HTML. You think, oh, it would be easy, but no, but e but but ebooks don't actually support that particular HTML. <laughs> so we had to like, we had to insert like graphics for all of the dang emoji, oh. and it was so complicated to make it all line up right. Um, but uh, it was just it was just kind of funny that like something seemingly simple turned out to be such a complicated thing. Um, but also like his story involves, um, you know, like talking to people via chat, like on a computer and that kind of thing. And so like you had to format that differently. And uh, but I mean, it just made the it made the made the look and, and feel of the story reading it like a very different experience. Wow. Ah, oh, sounds like you've been through the walls with the emoji. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you must the, hate the great now. emoji wars. Yes. <laughs> You must hate them now. Um, I've got to ask yeah. before we move on: ebook or real book? Which mm-hmm. do you prefer? Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, I still love the print book, you know. But um, I mean, as far as like just my particular reading preferences go at this point, like I'm shifting towards like I would 
month, I would rather just have everything as an ebook. Um, actually, you know, one of the other things that I'm, the other big projects I'm working on lately is I'm, I'm the series editor for Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. Uh, it's a new entry in this long-running Best American series. Wow. Um, and so to do that, I have to basically try to read every short story published in the genre. Um, and then, you know, I pick the best ones and all yeah. that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, and most, most places they're willing to send me like ebooks of their thing uh, of their stories or i or i find them online but there's a couple places um like asimov's and analog uh they just sent me um print editions of the magazines and there's some anthologies and stuff like i have a i have a small box in my office right now like i just wrapped up um the, the you know the first volume and so i just i still have my 2014 reading material in in my office and it's, it's just a it's a pretty small box because i did get most of it as ebooks um, but, uh, it's actually kind of frustrating sometimes when I, I just rather have it as an ebook and I can't like publishers are very uh, reticent to send ebook review copies out sometimes, which yeah. you, you know, you think doesn't make any sense cause it would be free. Right. Yeah. But they're worried about piracy and that kind of thing. And so it's, uh, it can be very frustrating. Um, the Asimov's and analog is actually extra frustrating for me cause I really, um, I don't like, I don't like the feel of, of those particular magazines. Like, um, there's something about like, the, the way they format them um, and and just like the feel of the magazine like like if you if you sit and read Asimov's for like for a couple hours you know it's like the 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 uh, the back cover of the magazine sort of comes off on your fingertips ah, you know what right, I mean yeah. it's like it's it's almost like it's almost like silly putty you know where you put you, you put it on something and it copies it over onto the silly putty but I mean it's just like you it it's it's kind of weird and and I don't really like it, but um, I'd rather have it digitally. But it, yeah, but in general, <laughs> to answer your question, yeah, I, I I would rather have ebooks at this point. Um, and actually, I uh, I I also format ebooks myself because uh, you know I publish Lightspeed Magazine and Nightmare yeah. Magazine, and so I'm I'm you know I create the ebooks for those myself. Um, and and also like when I do self when I do projects, I publish myself like the Apocalypse Triptych. Um, and I actually find that really interesting to do. Um, I don't know anything about formatting print books um like so when i've done projects that, that have the print editions it's either because i sell it to a traditional publisher or, or in the apocalypse triptychs case uh my partner hugh howie he he handled the print side of that but um you know so 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 in that way like i'm i'm more prejudiced towards ebooks as well just because like i know how to make them and i'm and i'm uh curious about what makes them better and a better reading experience and all that kind of thing um but yeah i mean they're just much more convenient for me um as an editor certainly so um yeah yeah i'll be honest ebooks scare me and which oh, is yeah. unusual being uh, being a card carrying geek and uh, a yeah, yeah. complete <laughs> not sci-fi um they scare me because i could have so many books i could have an entire library on mm-hmm. say a kindle yeah and the reason why they scare me is i'm always concerned that i might actually sit on it and accidentally break it <laughs> right well you know the thing is it's all backed up in the cloud so you know you can't really lose it um so that's, I mean, I actually like that. And like, uh, I don't know how, how frequently you've moved in your life, like moved houses, but I mean, quite man, a lot, quite a lot. man, you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, I have so many books. Um, and, and it's like, so I actually moved from, from the East coast of the, of the United States to the West coast. Wow. Uh, cause I, uh, yeah. Cause I had met my, I met my wife at a science fiction convention. Um, you know, and then, so we dated long distance for a while and then I, I moved out here to California. Um, and so I had like, I had like 50 boxes of books. I don't know how many books that was. I had like about, but I had about 50 boxes of books that were just novels. Right. Yeah. And so when I, but, but I didn't re- I don't really have time to read novels anymore. You know, it's like, I mean, uh, being a short fiction editor, it's like, 
basically everything I read has to be short fiction. That's all I have time for. I was wondering um, how you have uh, how how you have <laughs> enough hours in the day to read all of the short stories. Well, it's hard. I mean, you know, um, for 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 doing something like Best American, I mean, I'm. Um, you know, it's like I'm. Re- are you familiar with the idea of like reading slush? Yes. You know, uh, so you know, slush being uh, unsolicited submissions, and so you sort of read through things, and you you dismiss a lot of that stuff very quickly because it's either you know it's like it's not written very well, or uh, you know, you, it's just not it's just not for you. You can do the same sort of thing when you're reading for something like Best American. It's like it's not like the quality is obviously higher because it's all stuff that's published, but you know. Um, I can read this. I can start reading a story and think, well, this is pretty good, but I can know very quickly that it's not going to be among the best of the year because I know it's just not really doing it. It's not like singing for me. It's like, it's like, it's pretty good and like I'm into it, but it's not like hitting me over the head, you know? Yeah. And so, so I can actually stop reading those or like maybe, so like a lot of those type stories where they're like, well, this is pretty good, but not, maybe not, it's not best of the year material. I'll sort of jot it down and then um, I'll maybe revisit it later in the yeah. year as I'm making my final selections. So okay. it's like, that's one way you could do it. And then also, um, I have some, I have some folks who help me, um, sort of, uh, slush other, uh, periodicals where it's like, okay, well I want to try to read everything that I can, but then maybe some magazines like, you know, I've tried reading them and, and they generally don't publish a lot of stuff that I'm interested in. So I have somebody else, uh, sort of look at those for me and, and then just, uh, you know, and I rely on them to highlight anything that's particularly uh, noteworthy. And so I'll look at those or, and, and, and also like, if there's authors that I really generally like, uh, if I see them publishing in some other magazine that I'm not looking at too hard, I, uh, you know, maybe I'll look at that story. But, you know, I got, I, you know, it's all about time management, really, because it's like there's thousands and thousands of stories published in the genre in a given year. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> if I want to do anything else in my life, uh, yeah, I need to need to. Uh, you really need to organize yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I totally um, understand. I found that within, say, a couple of pages of any particular story, I'll know immediately whether I'm going to like it or not. Yeah, and one of the nice things about, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's a nice thing, but it's one of the things that happens when, you, when you're when you an editor is that, you know, you, you suddenly lose all, um, you, you, you lose all reticence about stopping reading something that you don't like. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, I'm totally ruthless about that. Like, if I'm not into it, I'm done. You know, I don't finish reading. I, I don't finish reading most things I start reading. I, I also don't finish watching most movies that I start watching. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it sort of affects all all areas of my um, sort of entertainment life, where it's like, you know, I, 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 I'm I'm quick to cut bait, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, you know, there are a lot, I, like, I know a lot of people, like, you know, they start reading something, they're going to finish it, even though, even if they're not into it, you know, even if they're, even if they're actively angry at it they finish reading it which you know i think um in, ends up inspiring a lot of uh, the more negative uh, reviews that you see it's like because people are mad that they you know wasted had to so pour- much time on it yeah 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 so i do have to ask um as an editor um yeah. especially having to read so much short fiction do you find that your enjoyment of short fiction has lessened or has it increased over the years Oh yeah, no, I I wouldn't say it's lessened at all. I mean, if anything, I've 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 gained more of an appreciation for all of the the really great things that I read. Um, and you know, I mean, like I'm the biggest cheerleader that there is for anything that I that I actually select for publication. You know, I mean, like yeah. I just want everybody to read this stuff. I, I mean, just that's had kind a of... horrible mental image of you as a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it would be pretty terrible. But I mean, you know, it's um, uh, I see I see my role as an editor mostly as a curator. 
you know, it's my job to find all of the good stuff and then I want to share it with everyone. And so, um, you know, given, so it's, it's, it's weird, you know, like novel editors do the same thing, but they get no profile. You know, it's like, sure. People in the business know who edited what, but most readers don't know anything. And I always found that kind of weird, but, um, it's, that's not the case with short fiction editors and short fiction, even though there's much less, you know, money involved with short fiction because novels are much more popular, even though that's the case, like in short fiction, we have, um, uh, short fiction editors can kind of, you know, we can become known quantities and we have, fans you know so like people people know people who've read my anthologies and stuff like a lot of those people like they become fans of mine and they trust my opinion enough that they go out and they seek out my other books because they trust my you know my curation and so you know given that it's like i have this um you know responsibility i feel to to really you know stick true to my you know uh my my beliefs on what's a good story and and you know um and all that and 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 so given that people have put this trust in me, um, I feel it's only uh, only fair to also uh, also uh, promote the, the stories and, and be as vocal um, a supporter of them as I can so that the authors uh, sort of get the same benefit, you know. But, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love I love short stories more now than I ever have. I mean, honestly, I mean, and uh, um, it certainly doesn't hurt that uh, that I get to just do it all day. And it's uh, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like. Um, uh, short stories make my career and my lifestyle possible. So it's like, uh, you know, uh, there's also that sort of meta <laughs> meta uh, thing that's uh, making me love them even more. But I mean, just like on a creative level and on an entertainment level, I, I think I do as well. Fantastic. Um, okay. So aside from science fiction and fantasy, what sort of other books, stories would you read? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I read a lot of I read a lot of mystery and crime fiction, uh, sort of. So when I was uh, when I was around eighteen, nineteen, something like that, I, I sort of was at a crossroads um, in my entertainment reading uh, or in my inter- entertainment consumption, I guess I should say. Um, and and I I had been reading a lot of crime and mystery fiction. I read a lot of medical thrillers, um, and it was all sort of dancing around the science fiction stuff, which I had only, which I was sort of, I was sort of afraid of the actual science fiction section because I thought like I wasn't going to be smart enough to understand, um, you know, I wasn't going to be able to understand the science in them, you know, like I, I was like, I, I didn't know anything about physics really. And so I didn't think I'd be able to, to really understand them. And so, um, I was sort of, that's where I wanted to be, but I didn't know it. Um, and so like, I sort of, um, started reading Michael Crichton, um, and that kind of thing. And, after I read like Jurassic Park, my brother-in-law at the time said, you know, like, hey, if you can if you can handle the science in Jurassic Park, you can handle any science fiction novel, which turned out to be true. And so I was very grateful that he said that because then, you know, I went and found a bunch of science fiction novels and then, you know, I was ruined and for everything else. And uh, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, if I was going to read anything else or, or consume any other kind of entertainment, it would you know, probably be mystery crime fiction. I mean, um, The Wire is my favorite television show of all time, like no question. It's a good show. Yeah, and so I mean, obviously not science fiction at all, no. just pure crime drama, you know. Um, and uh, and Breaking Bad is another one of my favorite shows, and so you know, again, another crime drama. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's um, that's the next place I would probably go. Um, and I mean, I've thought about you know trying to do you know sort of branch out into do maybe anthologies in those genres because the thing is, it's like you know. Um, I've already, I'm already doing a lot of books a year. Like I did five books uh, in 2014 and I think I'm going to have six in 2014. So it's like, that's a lot of books plus, you know, two issues of a magazine every month. Wow. Um, 
you know, that's a lot of material to produce. And so, um, but it's all in the same genre. If I did books in a, you know, in a different genre, then though that's not even going to really be competing, you know, for the, for the same audience. So yeah. it's potentially a way to, to, you know, get more stuff out there and, and reach more people. Um, but there's, there is a time factor. <laughs> so, you know, um, and of course I don't really have the contacts in, um, mystery that I do in science fiction. I, I actually did try to, to do a, um, a mystery or a crime related, um, uh, project a couple of years ago. And, Literally every person I approached said no, which has never happened to me. Like any any anthology I've ever tried to put together for science fiction, I've never gotten like every, literally every person saying no. And it was and it was weird because I thought it was like something that was really going to resonate with um, with people because it had sort of um, you know like a um, it had it had like a, a moral uh, moral uh, theme to it, you know. So it's like you know people would get rally behind that part of it, but uh, yeah, and I couldn't, I just couldn't get anyone to say yes. And and I mean, I, I it's probably partially because like you know the mystery people don't really know who I am, you know, probably. Yeah. So um, yeah, although I did do that Sherlock Holmes anthology, I mean, it's it's a you know the improbable adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It's yeah. uh, that one was it's sort of like half straight mystery Sherlock Holmes stories and half. Um, uh, you know, sort of fantastical science fictional science of uh, Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, and, you know, so, I mean, some, some people probably know me because of that, but um, it was published mainly as a science fiction, uh, you know, anthology as opposed to a mystery anthology. So, you know, I still don't really have any cred in, in the mystery community. Oh, that's a shame. I have just a couple of uh, questions that I want to ask. Do you prefer classic science fiction or modern science fiction, or is it a little bit of both? Um, well, it's definitely a little bit of both, but I mean, I think I definitely have a, a preference for, for modern science fiction. Um, I mean, there's plenty of classic science fiction I do love. Um, you know, one of the books that really made a big impression on me was uh, James Gunn's The Road to Science Fiction, Volume 3, uh, subtitled From Heinlein to Here. Uh, I read that in a science fiction lit course in college, actually, and it was the first time I had actually encountered a bunch of these authors. Um, you know, I was I was reading science fiction at the time, and I was really into it, but I hadn't consumed a lot of short fiction at that time. Um, and to this day, though, some of those stories are still among my favorites. There's, like, The Cold Equations. There's The Streets of the Skellen. Um you know, uh, yeah. things like that. And, um, you know, and, uh, flowers for Algernon is my favorite story of all time. Um, you know, that, that's that not book. in that book that that's in the, it's in the next volume of yeah. James Gunn's road to science fiction. But, um, you know, uh, I mean, obviously that's a classic of science fiction, not modern, oh, but, um, yeah. so, you know, the, so, so a lot of my favorites are, are, you know, are of these classic science fiction stories, but, um, yeah, I mean, my, generally my tastes run towards more toward modern stuff. Um, you know, but I mean, it's interesting to go back and revisit the classic stuff and see which things still hold up. Like, I think Flowers for Algernon, you could definitely, I mean, even though it's a classic story, it reads like a modern story. Like, you could publish that today and nobody would think, like, oh, this is an old story. Like, they wouldn't know. I mean, if they didn't know any better, I don't think they would be able to tell that it was published 50 years ago or whenever it was, you know, so. Yeah. I think, well, I think the sentiments in something like Flowers for Algernon fit into pretty much any era, into any yeah. age. Um, it's similar to Brave New World in that respect. Um, yeah. The sentiments from that fit into any age. And uh, Tiger Tiger is another interesting one. Mm. But I'm not sure how that fits into the current age, but possibly in another 10 years' time, it might be suitable again. Yeah, do you mean the, you mean Bester's... Uh you mean the Stars My Destination? Yes, AKA? Stars My, Stars oh, okay, my yeah, Destination. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 my favorite novel, actually. Is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you know? Um, I have never met anyone else who has that as one of their favorite novels. Oh, okay, yeah. You know, uh, Stars My Destination kind of um, that's actually the book that made me, uh, you know, 
become a, a science fiction reader 100 percent you know yeah. like that's when i discarded all other genres and focused my attention entirely in science fiction because i read that at that time i had read um i had read a handful of science fiction novels you know i'd read a bunch of ben bova i think i'd read a bunch of robert j sawyer and you know there's like so i read a bunch of things like that um but i hadn't read anything that like sort of really blew my mind the way stars my nation did and i mean yeah. don't get me wrong i loved plenty of those ben bova robert j sawyer books but but the stars my nation Stars My Destination just like blew my mind with, uh, and I couldn't believe how old it was, you yeah. know, and, it, and um, yeah, like it was crazy. Like I was working at a Walden Books, which is this little small um, uh, bookstore that we had here in the U.S. that's out of business now. But, um, you know, I was working at this bookstore and we had this tiny science fiction section. And, um, and at the time, this was before like Amazon was a probably a thing at all but certainly before it was a big thing and so like if people wanted to order a book they would come to the bookstore and they would order it and the bookstore would order it and we'd call them when it came in and they'd come pick it up you know um and uh so the stars my destination had been out of print for a long time because apparently <laughs> when alfred bester died he donated his literary estate to his bartender who didn't know <laughs> what to do with it and so as a result uh, a lot of his i mean all of his works i think went out of print for yeah. for a number of years and then uh there's a publisher called byron price um who died sadly a couple of years ago uh but he had uh he had rescued the the estate um and brought brought the works back into print and so um right around this time when, you know, right before I discovered it, um, it had just come back into print. And so a bunch of people were ordering it. And I was like, why are, why is everyone ordering this? It's like, and you know, it, it was the sort of thing where like, well, is this on television or something? Cause that's usually what would happen. Like, yeah. you know, Oprah or somebody would, would have a book on, on, on a show. And then, um, a bunch of people would come into the bookstore asking about it and we didn't have it. And so we'd have to order it. But this one was like sort of smaller scale, obviously. Uh, cause, um, you know, sort of a more niche thing, but a bunch of people were ordering it. And I was was like I wondered what it was and it looked interesting and so I checked it out I was like huh that sounds awesome I'm gonna read that and um so it's just kind of one of these like funny coincidences that I happened to discover it um and, uh, and you know um and Bester actually had a story in that road to science fiction book too that I, I mentioned earlier and so that was really yeah. cool to see that um I, and I think I think the Stars of My Destination actually even was largely responsible for getting me my job at the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Really? Because uh, yeah, when I was when I was chatting with the the publisher um, about science fiction and everything, I mean, I I said that that was my favorite novel. So I think I, I think that must have scored me a lot of points. Oh, I, I can imagine. It's not it's not the usual thing. Most people I've met they usually put something like the Mars Trilogy by Kim Stanley Robinson or something like that as yeah. their favorite science fiction novel. I think. Right. As far as I'm aware, and you'd have to be a real hardcore science fiction fan to have something like Stars My Destination as your favorite book. Right. Yeah, and I, and you know what? I didn't even know it at the time. You know, like I didn't know that it was going to be like that. It was as like sort of revered as it is amongst the you know sort of um, you know si science fiction uh, you know people who are yeah. in the know, like deeply in the know, like in the industry. I, I didn't know that it was so highly regarded. I just I just read it and loved it. So it was like that kind of great pure um, <laughs> you know discovery, and uh, you know it wasn't like calculated or at all. And so yeah. uh, you know, so that was that was just really cool that that it worked out that way. Yeah, I know. Uh, years ago, I got into E.E. E. Doc Smith. Years oh, ago, mm -hmm. uh, most people don't even know who he is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got into, you know, the Lensman series. Uh, sure. And then from mm -hmm. there I branched out into some of his other work. I'll be honest, I, I, I really like Japanese animation. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been watching anime for about 30 years. And a very early movie came out here in the UK called Lensman. 
Mm-hmm. And they were saying, oh, yeah, it's the story that Star Wars was based on, uh, written by E.E. E. Doc Smith. Now, I'd never heard of E.E. E. Doc Smith, so I immediately hunted down mm-hmm. the books and absolutely, I just read them all in one go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what got me heavily into classic science fiction. And from there, mm-hmm. I naturally headed towards Bester and the rest of them. So, yeah, that was, uh, I'm reminiscing now. I'm getting all nostalgic. <laughs> it's, uh, it's weird. I confess I have not read E.E. Uh, e. Doc Smith. Um, I I think I tried reading one of them, and I, I just I didn't quite get into it. And, um, you know, I mean, that's sort of uh, yeah. uh, just sort of par for the course for, for any kind of, you know, really old uh, work of any genre, but especially science fiction where it's like, you know, some of it, it's not going to be accessible for every yeah. modern reader, you know. Um, uh, some people get into it and some people don't. And, yeah. um I mean, I definitely respect all the uh, all the the groundwork that that, that such works uh, you know provided for for the genre. But yeah, um, yeah some uh, of them is just like you know I can't quite get into it. Yeah, I think part of the problem with it is just the language that's used. It's very uh, it's very formal in its tone and in it in the way that everyone speaks and in its descriptive terms. Mm-hmm. It's very very formal and it it makes it quite a heavy read. Yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. And I think that's one of the reasons why people have difficulty getting into it. But it doesn't mean to say it's a bad read. It just makes it difficult right. to absorb. It's like eating right. a heavy meal, you know. After you've eaten <laughs> a heavy meal, you want to go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually one of the interesting things that I think really affected me about um, about the, the Bester novel is because, um, you know, for something of that era, like from the early 50s, to have that level of, like, language like i mean the language was just so great and like so like so elevated compared to what you would have seen in most science fiction of that era i mean even now i mean it's like he was such a stylist you know um and and i mean the concept i mean the concepts as well but i mean it's like sort of it's sort of like got all these proto cyberpunk elements to it and 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 all these other different things going on but um but yeah i mean i think it's really just like the language and the style like like i mean just like the first the first paragraph or the first like yeah the first paragraph of the of the prologue is just amazing and then like the first paragraph of like the first chapter is amazing it's just like and i've I've, like i've like transcribed these for people like over and over just like and like sent them to them (laughs) and and, like people will be like holy what Um, but yeah it's like um it's like what is that you know like you see it and you're like and you're just like i gotta read that you know so um yeah, I just I just love it. Actually, um, when my I mentioned my wife and I were seeing each other long distance, uh, she suggested we read each other uh, stories uh, as as a thing that we could do for each other while while we're while we're not together. And so um, she read me one of her favorite books, and I read her The Stars My Destination. So um, you know, just read it to her chapter by chapter, sent it to her MP3. Um, as as you probably can think, uh, the chapter toward the end there where things yeah. start to get a little wonky that was a little challenging. Yeah, <laughs> to I can do uh, I can as imagine. audio, but. Um, yeah. Uh yeah. And so she read me um uh what's it called? Uh Only Begotten Daughter by James Morrow. Ooh, that's another yeah. good one. Do you know how nice it is to actually talk to somebody about <laughs> science fiction who actually is knowledgeable and loves the genre? It, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. nice. It's like there is a god. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I I've, I've kind of lucked out um because you know, I you know, I uh started my career 
uh, on the East Coast, and I was working for the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and so yeah. we were right near New York City, and so there was a hu- there's a huge science fiction community there, and uh, there's all these events that like you know uh, do like uh, author readings and stuff, and so like you go to those and you meet all these other people who are you know like you say they're just like this, they're, you know you talk to them about all this kind of stuff, and they're just as passionate about it as you are, and of course that's where most of uh, U.S. publishing is based is in New York, so you know it makes kind of sense that there's a lot of other people that you could run into like that, yeah, um, and I mean. And just working at the magazine, you know, that that gave me so many opportunities to meet other people who would be like minded as well. And, and, you know, I spent nine years working there. And and so day to day, I'm I'm going to work and and there's Gordon Van Gelder, the publisher and editor. And it's like, um, you know, he was a font of information on the subject and, and, you know, had read, you know, like, you know, just hundreds and probably thousands of books and stories and everything. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, that was really great. I mean, I, I feel like, I feel like our conversations that he and I had over the years were like a good deal, a good percentage of, of like, of, of my education in science fiction. Yeah. Um, you know, much more so than like things that I just went and read on my own or, or research I'd done on my own, just like having that sort of interaction with him day to day that, that taught me, uh, sort of almost more than anything, I think. Fantastic. Okay. John, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Yeah, uh, for no, this thanks. it's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, it was that, that I really enjoyed it as well. You know, like like you were saying, uh, how nice it is to talk to somebody like that. It's it's equally nice to to like do an interview where somebody obviously knows you know knows what they're talking about as well. Because a lot of people sort of like they they don't really know too much, and yeah. and you know so. Um, yeah, no, I mean, they, yeah, this was great. I, I mean, I didn't, I expected nothing less of a show called The Geek Show, so. Well, we are um. geeks. We are. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was the brilliant John Joseph Adams. Wastelands 2 is going to be available very, very soon in all good bookshops and on Amazon. And if you are a fan of science fiction or a fan of post-apocalyptic fiction, then I highly advise you to pick it up. It is a brilliant read.
For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.